God can be trusted in everything, that he will always do what he says, and he will never fail. Welcome to Renew with Pastor Jordan Baker, the lead pastor of Grace Brethren Church in Simi Valley, California. Renew is an extension of Pastor Jordan's preaching ministry at Grace Brethren Church in Simi Valley. Renew exists to help people know God by proclaiming the truth and beauty of Scripture. We've all broken promises and have been wronged by others breaking trust with us. Broken trust leaves us uncertain, robbed of joy, and fearful. Have you ever felt these ways? In Joshua chapter 5, Israel is dealing with these same emotions, this same fight for trust. Their parents' generation had sinned, and now they were afraid that they had outsinned God's patience and His faithfulness to His promises to them. Will He take His promises back, or can He still be trusted in spite of Israel's disobedience? The good news is, He can. God's grace and His promises never wear thin, and there is great hope for us in this. Consider this question as you listen today. How does the fact that God always keeps His promises, even though His ways may seem strange, help us in our day-to-day pursuit of Him? Listen as Pastor Jordan answers this question. Well, the word trust. If you think of the word trust, it's such a small word and yet such a huge word that carries a weighty amount of connotation. Trust. Trust is something that is said is hard to gain and is broken or lost very easily. Trust is something that we all hope we are. We all hope that we are trustworthy. We all desire for other people to trust us. And yet a lot of times in life, we have a hard time trusting other people. When you have trust in a relationship, it helps you have confidence helps you have comfort. It helps you move away from cynicism. And so trust is huge in a relationship. And yet, if we're honest this morning, if all of you think about all of the relationships you've had in your life, you've been on both ends of the broken trust cycle. I want you to think of a time in your life, and some of you this morning, it's very raw, Some of you, it's very real, it's right there, that you've had somebody break your trust, that somebody has lied or has done something that you trusted them, and yet they broke that trust. And there's others in here, the first thing you're thinking of is the time you broke trust with somebody else. Most times we think of how somebody else has wronged us, but there's numerous times where we've broken trust with somebody else. The problem with broken trust, and if you've ever lived through that or you're living through that now, is broken trust is devastating in relationships, right? It's devastating. When trust is broken, confidence leaves. Fear is magnified. Joy is diminished. Peace leaves. Rest is gone. Shame is heightened. And anxiety is multiplied. Broken trust leaves us uncertain. It leaves us tentative. It leaves us gun shy. And and yes, we believe that in Jesus Christ, there is forgiveness for sins always, right? There's always forgiveness for sins, but even after forgiveness, rebuilding trust sometimes is very difficult and takes time. Well, this is exactly in Joshua 5. 
to catch you up to speed in Joshua 5, where a generation of Israelites finds themselves. If you haven't been with us, we've been talking about Joshua leading the people of Israel. We're talking hundreds of thousands of people who have been waiting 40 years in the wilderness, and now they get to the banks of the Jordan River, they cross a flooded Jordan River by God miraculously moving back the water, they move to the other side of the river, and they're ready to take on Jericho. They are ready to fight for the land that had been promised to them for over 400 years. And yet last week we said there was an enemy within the camp and that enemy was forgetfulness. There was a track record of unfaithfulness, of disobedience. And what this generation now that was left alive, that was going to go into the promised land, knew that the generation before had broken trust with God. They had disobeyed God. They had broken the covenant. They had not kept up their end of the bargain. And when they didn't keep up their end of the bargain, God said, all of you must die. And so the living generation has just waited for this other generation to die off. And yet if you're the living Israelite, you're thinking, man, that's been our heritage. That's what's been handed down to us as this broken trust And now as we go in, are we going to hold up our end of the bargain? And not only are we going to live up to our end of the bargain, would God keep his end of the covenant? Would God go back on what he has promised? Did the people out sin his ability or willingness to come through? I think that's what they're wrestling with. Is God going to keep his promise? That's a huge question we all have to answer. Is God going to keep his promises? And if he keeps his promises, what does that mean for us? What does that change in our life? What you see in Joshua 5, I hope what you saw was or heard was this, that God is going to do three renewed things in Joshua 5. He renews three different things. The first is this, they get to the other side of the Jordan River and he reinstates this sign of circumcision. Circumcision, we're gonna talk about that in a little bit because it's a main part of this section. So he reinstitutes circumcision, the manna stops, God had miraculously provided bread from heaven, that would stop and Passover was done again. Those are things that had been going on or not been going on for 40 years, almost 40 years. And so what do we learn from this? That's what we're going to look at. This generation had to know and they needed to be reminded that God can be trusted in everything, that he will always do what he says, and he will never fail. God will always do what he says. You need to hear that. And you need to hear that God will never fail. God will always keep his promises, that he will never go back on something he said. You need to hear that because We can't even trust ourselves sometimes. We've all broken trust with each other. We've broken trust with God, and we live in light of consequences of that. And yet you have to hear this morning that God never fails, that God will always uphold what he says, and so we can trust him. So what is our hope in the midst of broken promises? What is our hope in the midst of suffering or trial or harsh treatment? that God is in charge, that he never wastes anything, that when he does anything, it has meaning, and he works all things out for his glory and our ultimate 
good. That's what we cling to is that in everything that God does, he's working it all out for his glory and our ultimate good. All right, so that's where we're going this morning. Now, before we go into the text and talk about these things, we have to get a running start. So turn back with me to Genesis chapter 17. Now, I didn't plan it out either that when my grandma was here and hear me preaching for the first time that the major topic would be circumcision, all right? Um, I don't care who you are, that ain't easy. That's not an easy topic. Uh, We have no visual illustrations today. We're just gonna assume, I'm gonna presume that you understand what that is. And if you don't know uh, what that is, I have some elders in the back who can explain it to you. I just want to get through the awkwardness and then we can move on, right? All right, it's awkward. All right, Genesis chapter 17. Here's where the sign, here is what circumcision is. Here's why it was significant to the people of Israel and why God gave it to the people of Israel. You think circumcision in the Old Testament, think a mark or a sign of a covenant. It was an external reminder of something It was to be everlasting, and it was to be perpetuating. It was an everlasting covenant. It was a mark of a covenant, and it was supposed to be perpetuating. This is what Genesis 17, 9 to 14 says. This is God talking to Abraham after Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, according to Genesis 15, 6. This is what God says. God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring, after you throughout the generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised, every male throughout your generation, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not your offspring. Both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male, here it is, any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Okay, kind of redundant and maybe a little circular, but here's the problem that we have. According to Exodus chapter 12, according to Exodus chapter 12, in order to commemorate and celebrate the Passover meal, Exodus 12 says you must be circumcised. If you're not circumcised, you can't take the Passover meal. You have a whole generation of people, 40 of men, 40 and younger, who have never received the sign of this covenant. When Israel crosses the river, you have a whole generation, multiple generations now, who hadn't received this covenant, and they knew this promise, that if you hadn't received the mark of the covenant, you were cut off. You couldn't enter the land. You couldn't experience the blessings of God that way. And so the people were in a conundrum. They were in a tough spot. And this is exactly why God had to reinstate this. He had to show the people, listen, even though, here it is, even though you were faithless to the covenant, I will always be faithful to mine. I will always be faithful to mine. And so he wanted to illustrate that with the people. He wanted to show the people 
And so he said, everyone 40 and under were gonna be circumcised for the first time again. So the question we ask heading into this text is, can we trust God when things don't make sense, when things are broken around us, even when we broke them and when we have suffered, that he is clearly at work in all of our circumstances. So the first thing we learn in the first nine verses of Joshua chapter five is we can have certainty that God keeps his promises. We can have certainty that God keeps his promises. Why is that such a big deal? It's such a big deal because I can never keep all of my promises and no one really can. If we bank on people alone, people will always fail us. People will always let us down because we're fallible and sinful. And yet we always look to God who never goes back on his word, who never goes back on his promises. So here's what we learned from this text, from this story. The first is this, God keeps his promises even when his ways seem strange to us. God keeps his promises even when his ways seem strange to us. Have you ever thought about that? God works in weird ways. He works in strange ways. Have you ever, I've talked with people and I've prayed with people, I've listened to stories and you feel like somebody has gone through this tremendous amount of pain, suffering, trial, hard circumstance and only to have one more thing added onto that. And I found myself saying this multiple times, man, could have done without that. Like really, like God, what are you doing? Why do you keep adding onto this? Why does it have to work this way? Why do we have to go through pain or suffering to learn and to grow? It just doesn't seem the way I would do it. And yet God works and fulfills his promises to us in strange ways, but he still fulfills them. Here's, here's what it was for Israel. This is weird, right? Just, just imagine this scenario. And imagine it as a warrior, imagine it as a soldier, as you cross a flooded river, which creates a barrier between you and your enemy. And God says, here's what we're going to do. I got a great plan for you. Let's do this. I'm going to have you cross the river on dry ground. You're going to get to within a mile of your enemy. Then I'm going to have you stop. Okay. No, no, no. It gets better. Here's what I want you to do. Now I want you to take all of the fighting men and I want you to incapacitate them. I want you to go down the river, get a sharp rock, and I want you to circumcise all the men. Listen, that was no better back then than it is today, okay? That doesn't, that doesn't jive with me today. I'm thinking if I'm a soldier in Israel's army, I'm going, <clears throat> excuse me, you wanna do what? And more than that, if you go back to Genesis 34, Genesis 34 recounts a story of a gal named Dinah. And Dinah was abused sexually by a guy named Shechem, who was part of the Hivites. And Dinah's brothers were so upset that that had happened, even though Shechem wanted to marry Dinah. He goes, I want to marry your sister. What do you want me to do? And Simeon and Levi said, okay, here's what I want you to do. You want to marry our sister, enter into the sign of the covenant, circumcise all the men of your city, and you can marry my sister. And the story goes that while they circumcise all the men, in comes Levi and Simeon with swords. And what do they do? They kill the whole group of them. Two men, two swords, killed all of them. Now, if I'm an Israelite soldier, I know that story. I'm going, this is eerily similar. I'm thinking, God, what are you doing? 
Why would you do it this way? Why do you act this way? Why do you have us go through these things? Why not do it on the other side of the river? Why couldn't we have done that when we were younger? Why, do, why, why, why? Have you ever asked the why questions of God? Have you ever wondered why God works certain ways? Why did God give me certain trials that he doesn't give other people? Why does God give me certain circumstances that he doesn't give other people? But here's the truth of it, is that when God does one thing, he is really doing many things. You see, when God drops that one rock in the water, when he, when he throws that rock, the ripple effects of your life, it's not just one rock, one ripple effect. It's like when he does something to you, he throws a bunch of rocks on the water, and all of a sudden, there's all of these ripple effects that happen. Here in Israel, here's what was happening. When God let Israel stay for three days and recover from the surgery that they had, what was happening to the other nations around them? All the other nations, it says in chapter five, verse one, were starting to get nervous. Their hearts were melting. They were losing their spirit and their strength. In other words, God was saying, I'm not only preparing Israel's heart, you don't even know what I'm doing because as I'm doing this, I'm actually melting the hearts of the people and preparing the land for you to conquer. I'm preparing the way. And Israel wasn't even privy to that information. And yet that's exactly what God is doing. That's the faith we live in. God doesn't work according to our economy, our standards, our thinking. He doesn't work that way, but we have faith and trust that when God does one thing in our life, he's really doing a million things all around us. And the problem is sometimes we don't understand or know what those millions of things are, and yet God is clearly at work doing it. God keeps his promises even when it seems like he does them in strange ways, convoluted ways. And even our suffering, even our trials aren't wasted. 2 Corinthians 4, 2 Corinthians 4, verses 16 to 18 says, all of this suffering is producing in us a weight of glory that's beyond compare or beyond measure. It's creating us a weight of glory as we trust God through the trial. So God is always doing something. God is never not doing anything in your life. He's always doing something, even when it doesn't seem like you know what in the world he's doing. He never wastes your pain. He never makes a mistake. And if you're struggling, if you're laid up in pain because something's ravaging your body, if you're dealing with disease, if you're dealing with trial, if you're dealing with, with something even that you brought onto yourself, you're thinking, what good can come out of this? God is always working it out for his glory and our good. Second, here's what we trust in God that he's promise keeping. God keeps his promises even when we don't keep up our end of the bargain. God keeps his promises even when we don't keep up our end of the bargain. When God promises, when God makes promises that are everlasting, he means it. Why did God choose Israel as a people? Why did God choose Israel? He chose Israel because he chose Israel. He put his love on Israel because he wanted to. Why does he choose to save anyone? Why did God choose to save you? Why did he choose to save me? because he loves us. Why did he continue to endure with Israel? Think about this. Why would God put up with a group of people who only had a history of complaining, grumbling, didn't believe, disobeyed, made a mockery of God to the other nations? Why did God continue to hold up his end of the bargain? Why did he do that? Because he made a covenant with them and he always keeps his promises. 
What comfort do we take in that? If God has saved you, he is going to be faithful. Philippians 1, 6 says, he's going to be faithful to complete your salvation to the end. You can't out his grace. You can't out his promise to you. And the second thing we learn here is that we sacrifice benefits and experience consequences in unbelief, but do not nullify the promise. Here's what Israel was living in light of, right? They had massive consequence. They had to die in the wilderness. They were strewn about in the wilderness and they missed out on the blessing that God wanted to give them. And that was given to another generation. How does it work for us? Some people hear this, it's funny. Some people hear me say that, that you can't out God. And, and some people think this, oh, well then I can just sin and sin and sin and still be saved. If that's you, if that's how you think, you gotta hope that God changes your thinking in that because here's what we cling to when it comes to God's promises to save us and secure us versus our obedience to him. We're always called to be obedient once salvation has taken hold. This is what 1 John lays out. If you ever wanna know what does it look like to be saved, how do I know if I'm really saved? Read 1 John. 1 John makes statements like this. When we're a follower of Christ, we want to obey his commandments, 1 John 2, 3. We want to walk like Christ walked, 2, verse 6. We love our brothers. We practice righteousness. We have the Holy Spirit, and we love God, and we actually desire to keep his commandments. See, salvation brings a radical change, a transformation, and the hope that we have is that we all look at that and we go, we don't keep that perfectly. Every day I sin and there's times I disobey or break God's command. And and in that there's a break of fellowship and sometimes there's a break in, or, or I have to endure consequences for my sin. And yet I know that God doesn't cut me off because of my sin. And here's how it works together in 1 John. If you look at 1 John chapter two, verses one to two, is we have an advocate and somebody who's made propitiation for our sins. And that person is Jesus Christ. You see, I don't get a free license to sin when I'm saved. I don't want to sin anymore. And yet when I do sin, it says that Jesus Christ, who made sacrifice on the cross, who took my place on the cross, took all the wrath of God onto himself at the cross, is advocating on my behalf, saying every time I sin, Jesus says, I paid for that. I paid for that. And that doesn't motivate me to sin. It actually motivates me to obey. And so that's what Israel was living in light of. You take hold of this promise that God makes an everlasting promise. He makes a promise sure to us and we can't out our way out of that. And yet we face consequences and broken fellowship when we sin. Third, third, God keeps his promises, but that does not absolve us from responding in faith. God always keeps his promises, but that doesn't absolve us from responding in faith. Here's what we learn from the generation that had just died in the wilderness in Joshua 5. Here's what we learn, that a sign is only as good as what it signified. A sign is only as good as what it signified. Here's what I mean. There's irony in this text. Joshua 5 is full of irony. And here's the irony is the generation that had the mark or the symbol of their covenant with God was the generation who were abjectly disobedient. They were the ones who grumbled and complained so much that God says, I've had enough with you. You're not gonna see the promised land and you're gonna die. And yet they had all of the, 
all the things that you would want as an Israelite. They had the mark of the covenant, the law. They had a leader in Moses, and yet that wasn't enough. Thanks for listening to Renew with Pastor Jordan Baker, an extension of the ministry of Grace Brethren Church in Simi Valley, California. Today was part one of a message entitled Hope After Broken Promises from our Renew series on the book of Joshua. For more information and resources from Renew, please visit our website at gracebrethren.com slash renewministry. You can even find Renew on Facebook or follow on Twitter at twitter.com slash renew underscore ministry. Grace Brethren Elementary, Junior High, and High Schools exist as another extension of the ministry of Grace Brethren Church. GBS strives to educate the entire soul of a child for the glory of Christ from ages 2 through 12th grade, annually serving over 1,100 students and 800 families. Please visit gracebrethrenschools.com to learn more. We'd love to hear from you, and we'll meet you again next week at this time for part two of this renewed message on the book of Joshua. Joshua.